Let's do it. From Marvel to Mythos with David Maisel, founder of Marvel Studios, Mythos Studios. And we have an incredible conversation. Uh, really excited to jump in. Um, so David, getting to know you over you know, the past month or two as we prepared for this, one thing that's so clear to me, and I think clear to anybody who knows you, is your passion for comic book culture. And I want to hear a little bit about the origin story of that. Where does that come from? And how did that lead you to Marvel Studios? Um, yeah, and what's great about that is it's, the answer is the common ingredient that created Marvel Studios that I assume everyone here knows and is the reason why Ecos exists, which is upstairs. Um, everyone here probably has seen the Marvel movies. This is my first time publicly and live talking about Marvel since I sold the company to Disney. Um, and, uh, and, and happy to go in whatever direction we want. Um, Marvel came out of my own personal dream. It wasn't a corporate initiative. Um, in 2003, 20 years ago, I had worked and gone to graduate school and I was creative in business and I had studied at working at the Creative Artists Agency. I worked at the Walt Disney Company and Endeavor, another talent agency. And I spent a weekend thinking that I wanted to create my own movies and I wanted to be both business and creative in the silly town of Hollywood. That's not allowed in Hollywood unless you're the chairman of your own studio. And so there was only six studios. Instead of working my way up, I thought I'd create my own studio. And my passion was Marvel Comics. And I know myself that I have to work on something that creatively I'm interested in. And so my creative breakthrough was thinking that if you saw the same characters in every movie, you'd be interested to go to the second and third and 30th and 40th film. And the first movie would get people interested and what we call a cinematic universe would be born. And Marvel was perfect for that. It's something that was intuitive to me as a comic book fan. But the movies at that time were being made by separate studios. Sony had Spider-Man, Fox had X-Men. And so with that idea of the cinematic universe, creatively, I got excited. Marvel was a public company that was just bankrupt. So this is important for everyone in the digital space that has gone through tough times recently. Marvel was not doing well when I went there in 2003. I had never made a movie before. I got creative and financial control and became the second biggest owner of Marvel. I should never have gotten that. It was only because nobody else wanted it. And you have to believe in your dream. You have to test it, but you have to have patience and you have to go after it with determination. And I approached Marvel and pitched. It was a public company worth $200 million. And I pitched the guy who owned 60% at Mar-a-Lago in 2003, because I remember Donald Trump coming by the table and who had just done The Apprentice, and he was bragging about that. Um, and I said, let's create our own studio and make our own movies, which had never been done before. No one had ever made a $30 million plus movie and independently financed it, let alone a lot, small comic book company that only had $10 million of cash. Luckily, the owner saw my dream and hired me, um, and I spent the next 10 years putting in places the process and the team to launch Marvel Studios, first convincing my board, 
then raising $525 million to make the movies, and then firing people and forming a team. There's a kid, Kevin Feige, who runs it now, who is my assistant. I promoted to president of production. And then we made Iron Man and launched it in 2008. But all of that was done in the context of our stock going down for five years. So we've had a, the, the winter for a year and a half now. I had a winter of Marvel for five years, and all of my compensation was stock options, okay? So, and I had nothing else. So this was a, uh, a nervous time. Um, if Iron Man didn't hit, um, who knows where the future would have gone. Um, but we believed in it. We worked really hard at it. We had faith in, in our, our, our actions, um, and we're able to approach each hurdle um, and, and get over it. Um, and so it was really the love of comics. And every day, Kevin and I and the team, and we hired Robert Downey to play Iron Man. Um, there was no one else. We wanted to be people to say well, that was that tough casting because he was an addict and he was in jail and he never had a successful movie. No, it wasn't because he is Tony Stark. Um, if you know the character from the comics, Tony Stark is... A billionaire who is a bit of an asshole, but everyone loves him and is really smart and who's an addict. And all those things is true with Robert. Um, and John Favreau had come off of a bomb of a movie called Zathura, but we only had enough money for 10 minutes of action. We needed to have great scenes in the workshop and around the kitchen table. And we, I knew John could bring out that comedy. So those were two very obvious um, hiring choices but it all came from the love of comics and trying to share that with the world. I love that. I love that. And, you know, it, it's funny because it, it seems like such a foregone conclusion now that, that mm -hmm. Marvel Studios would be a massive success. But it wasn't at the time. Like you said, you launched Iron Man against a backdrop of doubt and uncertainty, right? Um, and you said like a five-year winter. What gave you the conviction in moving images, you know, as like, like, like motion pictures as the vehicle for this culture to go from the, from the screen, like to the next level. Yeah, and that, there, there was a lot of dimensions and that's a really good one, which at the time of 2003 to 2008, there wasn't streaming yet. There wasn't the noise that exists today in culture. There wasn't Marvel to compete against. Um, there wasn't as big of social media. And so the way to make a cultural moment, and I, my dream wasn't to just have a movie that a few people saw. You know, I, I wanted to create a modern mythology um, and have the entire world know these characters, not just the few of us who read the comics. Um, you know, Iron Man was only selling 3,000 comics a month when the movie came out. So the story had to be universal and for the world. And the way to do that at that time was through a major motion picture because you'd spend 150 or 200 million in a worldwide advertising campaign. And then if you delivered the right movie, the word of mouth and everything else would create what we've seen with the MCU. Um, there's a big question of whether that still exists today with the noise of streaming and social media. And we can get into that later. And that's why I'm launching Ecos in a very different way. But at the time, that was clearly the way to go, even though it cost, you know, $300 million to make the movie and to market it, that was the best way to get everyone into the theater. You know, we managed every element of it from the music. We opened the movie with Back in Black to make it feel cool 
We ended the movie with I Am Iron Man by Ozzy Osbourne. You know, the casting to get people intrigued, to open people's minds to something different. And then the other part, which, which was important, which is really relevant for digital, is I really believe, and I think it's been proven, that people like to discover something with their community. And Marvel was something I knew and other fans, but the rest of the people, 99% of the people in the world, discovered it with the movies. And they shared it with their friends, and they saw the extra scenes, and they talked about it between movies, and looked forward to sharing the next movie together. And there wasn't that kind of experience in society for people to share. And so the combination of mass market movies and discovering it with your friends, I think, was the secret sauce. I love that. I love that. And I love the anecdote you shared with me about yourself and Stan uh, on, on, the, on the, the premiere, right? The night of the premiere with Iron Man. Like, and, and the idea of like taking this baton from someone who is such a, 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 you know, a, loom, like a luminary figure um, in the comic book world and, and taking that forward and really bringing this culture to the masses. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the, after this 10 years of hard work, we finally opened Iron Man. And the weekend it opened... Um, all the experts predicted we'd do like 30 or 40 million, which sounds like a lot, but that would have been a failure given the, the amount of money we spent on, on, on the movie. Um, and I, I brought along a couple pictures. Some, I thought of some fun things to share. Um, I haven't done this before, so excuse me. Um, let's see. The first one is this is literally like right before the movie, so those three people, um, me and Robert and Kevin, um, this movie changed our lives, right? So it was 10 years of work up to that. Robert had never had a payday before. He had never had a successful commercial movie. And it wasn't like he was a baby anymore and he was on his second wife and he had to start another family. Um, Kevin and I, this was our first movie. Um, so we were really excited there, but we were probably the only people excited. I mean, my board that day of the movie said to me, don't worry if the movie loses money, we'll make a little money selling toys. So that, that was their confidence in, in us at the time. Um, let's see what's next here. And this was really touching. This was after the movie, about a week afterwards. Um, and I saw Stan and um, he said, I'm happy I gave you the baton. Um, you know, he obviously created the characters uh, in the mythology from the comics. The, the movies were inspired by the comics. It's not exactly the comics. You know, we had to make Iron Man a love story. It's essentially a love story with 10 minutes of action, like a 1950s love story where you know they love each other, Pepper Potts and Robert, Gwyneth and Robert, but they don't really, or at least he doesn't admit it to himself. You know, we've seen that before, but it, I had to make it appealing for my mom and my girlfriend at the time. And and for everybody to get into the movie. Um, and Stan realized that, and he was thanking me here for um, taking the baton and bringing these characters to the rest of the world. Um, and to show how, um, to show real life footage, you know, on how not obvious this was. This was an interview on the red carpet the night of the movie, where at first the reporter thought I worked for Paramount, which was our distributor, didn't even know that Marvel had their own studio. And then I started talking about our plans for the future, which are so obvious now, but at the time, people thought that I was crazy for what I say here. David Maisel. And you're with Paramount Oh, Specifically, this is the first one out of the gate for you guys. It is. How do you feel? We couldn't be more excited. This has been five years of creating a new studio, raising the money, putting together a team, and 
developing and making Ironman. And now it's here. And to see people so excited and to see the reviews coming in and the enthusiasm for the Ironman brand is just beyond our wildest dreams. The process. I know some of the some of your team had film experience, of course, but a lot of these guys over at Marvel Entertainment, you know, they've been married with other films. Now, first time, your, your process, how was that working with, with it? Well, you know, we uh, put together a team. We had a group of people, uh, Kevin Feige, my president of production, who had worked in every single one of our movies with our studio partners at the time. And the two of us put together a great team and made both Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk for the summer. And so we're just extremely excited. And for Marvel to move and make its own movies and for the first one to get this kind of excitement and enthusiasm is exactly why we created our own studio. What are the future plans? More of the same. Uh, we're developing a whole bunch of movies. Um, in addition to the ones this summer, Iron Man and Hulk, we're developing Captain America, we're developing Thor, we're developing Ant-Man, we're developing the Avengers. We're going to keep bringing the Marvel Universe in hopefully with the same tender loving care that we did with Iron Man, since people seem to be reacting so well to that, and keep bringing it to our fans and bringing it to the world. Okay, well, now the funny question. If you had an iron suit tonight, what would you wear? What, what would you do if you had an iron suit? If I had a suit tonight, oh, jeez. You know, I would have flown here so I could have missed the traffic. <laughs> That's exactly what I would have done. Thank you very much. Right. Good luck tonight. Thank you. David Maisel. And you're with Paramount. So I, I share that because obviously the MCU, um, I had big dreams, but it, I still pinch myself every day um, on how big it's gotten. And a lot of people criticize how big it's gotten. Um, but it's um, here at this moment, which is just, you know, 15 years ago, Nobody else really believed in it. Um, we ended up doing $100 million that weekend, and that changed everything. But it was a surprise. And, you know, the tender, loving care words there is something that I feel is in this space. And the people that have survived the winter and the artists that I've talked to here and people like Snowfro, who you just saw, who was my first interview last April where I could not talk about Marvel because... We were coming out with Ecos and was not allowed to talk about movies or things about things in the future legally. Um, but, you know, these are people that really care about the space and it feels like a similar type of environment. Um, and sometimes you have to believe in something and that it can change the world and uh, keep working at it um, with love and, and intelligence and, and, and it can work out. I love it. I love it. What a journey. What a journey. And before we dive into all things Mythos and, and Ecos and, and Web3, I'd love to t tie, the, tie the bow tie on the, on the Marvel years and, and just talk a little bit about, you know, you went from uh, this, this climate of, of doubt and disbelief to a smash success with Iron Man. Um, but, you know, we just saw the video of, like, some of the things that you're like, this is what's next, all that. How do you steer that, build on that momentum, and steer that to a $4 billion sale with Disney? Yeah, I mean, it's... I think... Um, and I apologize for not being so quick on the answers here. I've never, like I said, publicly spoken. I did a Tim Ferriss podcast uh, a few months ago, and that's it. Um, but so much of it was focus. Like, I, I was living in Hollywood. I knew Hollywood. I, I was, you know, single and socializing in this small town. And so um, the people at Disney, um, Bob Iger, who used to be my boss, and Kevin Mayer, who runs... Uh, corporate development at the time and acquisitions was is still one of my best friends. And so um, I decided, um, I was the second largest owner of Marvel at the time, that um, it was best to 
um, sell Marvel. And so I, you can have monetary and financial aspirations and creative aspirations together. Sometimes people feel like you have to be one or the other. And if you care about money, it means you're not an artist. If you care about art, you can't talk about money. Um, I really love the challenges in the art of both, you know, the business of art, the art of business. Um, and um, I was able to convince Disney after Iron Man um, to buy us for, it was really $10 billion. Um, so we got the market cap from 200 million to 10 billion. Um, and I loved Disney as a kid. Um, and it was probably my favorite thing in the world until I was about 16. And so the idea of my babies and Marvel to be in the theme parks, it sounds sentimental, but I didn't shop Marvel to anybody else. And so I just brought it to them. I wanted to see it there. And from a personal point of view, I wanted to move on and have other challenges in my life and not just be defined. Marvel, the reason I haven't spoken for almost 10 years is I didn't want my whole life to be defined by one thing. I wanted to be, um, have a, live a life that was intentional about many different things. And it leads into why Web3. Um, but now is the right time because I, I love what I did there. People enjoy it so much. Um, and they, you know, be after the Stan Lee time, a lot of this story has not come out. There's so many cool stories about why Marvel exists, why every one of those actors is there, you know, what went into it. Um, but it really came down to that weekend in 2003. If I decided not to go to Marvel, the butterfly effect of that would have meant no MCU ever. Um, and no Avengers movie ever, um, for a whole bunch of legal and business and other reasons. And so it's amazing to think about what any one of us can do in our life. You don't know what the butterfly effect is. Um, and, and that, you know, I still get overwhelmed with that. And there was other things I was looking at at the time. Um, and so, you know, you can follow your dreams, uh, and be committed to it. Um, and, you know, you can, you can believe in something that changed the world and it can happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very inspiring. It's very inspiring. And so, you know, it, it, you, you speak of this moment, um, which is a tough moment to know what the, what the right time is, I imagine. But perhaps you, you felt like you knew it when it was the right time to pass the baton on to Kevin, to go out and, and, start, and start something new, like you said. Um, and this led to the founding of Mythos Studios. So tell us a little bit about like that moment of transition and how that same sort of passion for storytelling and for comic book culture drove you into the next chapter? So the story of the next stage after Marvel um, uh, started with actually Angry Birds. So I love IP and I love brands and um, I also love making movies. So I thought I wanted to learn animation and I saw the success of the Angry Birds game in 2011, 2012, a year after the sale to Disney. And to make a long story short, I approached the owners of the game in Finland and they were gonna license the movie like anyone else does to a studio where you give up creative control and you only get a small percentage of the finances. And I created with Marvel a new model where the IP holder finances their movie themselves and has creative control. And I think the reason why Marvel's been more successful, hopefully this, no, I, this, I don't care if it goes public, <laughs> um, more successful than DC and, and others is because it's Ben Stan and me and Kevin running it for the past decades. All three of us love these characters, really care about it. 
Your team has seen my perfectionism with the hanging of the art. We did that with every line of dialogue. And I think the f- people see that in your work of art. They see if it's authentic. They see if you really care, whether it's a movie or an, um, a digital art. And so I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to try something new. Um, and with Angry Birds, the first movie, we made that independently. And I learned animation, which I loved. Um, and we were able to make, I think it was the number 15 movie of the year. And from a market cap point of view, they got their market cap from 200 million to a billion plus, even though the game business got very competitive. Um, that then led into what you see here. Um, I love the art of comics, and I wanted to make a cooler animated movie, not something like Angry Birds, which I still had to make for kids. Otherwise, commercially, I wouldn't have gotten the box office that I needed. Why can't animated movies be PG-13 and be more like in the East, right? Um, and so I thought that the right comic book artist could be the visual DNA of an animated universe. And Michael Turner was an artist that did the Civil War cover you see up here, which was our number one comic of the past 20, 30 years when I was at Marvel. And Michael passed away, unfortunately, in 2010. But he is, in my estimate, the, the best penciler for every page of a comic book there's a a one-of-one pencil drawing. And that's really what's cool to collect. It's what I collect myself. And James Cameron also loves Michael Turner. So James Cameron had the entertainment and commercial rights to all of Michael's works, including Fathom, which was the number one comic of 1998, and Soulfire, another top 20 comic. Um, James let his rights expire in 2018. I grabbed them with a friend of mine, Scooter Braun, who's a music manager that you guys might have heard, Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, BTS, and so on. And um, we formed a company called Mythos to make cool animated movies with Michael Turner's art as the background. We also launched a Cupid movie with Justin Bieber, but that's a different conversation, um, a musical film. Um, and the reason I say this is we spent two years, we raised around the capital, to form a studio to make the Turnerverse, to make this animated, um, cool universe off of Michael Turner's art. And then COVID hit and destroyed the movie business, right? And so it's important to have a dream, but also to be smart enough to pivot and to adapt, right? Um, Something I think that your company has done very well. Um, And so over COVID, theatrical is dead it's silly to finance a 150 million dollar movie when no one's going to the movies and streaming is a lousy business model if you want to hit a home run which is what I like to do or create a cultural moment um, and so I thought of two things over COVID one is a few of my friends like Gary Vaynerchuk and others got into web three and I started getting intrigued about this and mostly intrigued about digital art and how it can be you know, authenticated that it's a one-of-one provenance. And then I realized, wait, you know, everyone would have loved to own the art of Marvel you know, and be part of the journey, and we can offer that through Web3. And so I did a test case in March of 21. I took one of my favorite covers of Michael Turner and, um, and, the, and the published cover, and I sold them as one-of-ones on Maker's Place. And the auction went up to like $100,000. And, and I thought, okay, that's a little bit of a proof of concept. Yes, you know, the, in retrospect, it was a height of the market. 
But I thought to myself, wait a second, this will be fun. I will start my journey on this new universe with art. And parallel to that, I came up with an idea for a new universe called Ecos, which is the title of a comic that Michael did one issue of with Jeff Johns from DC and then before he passed away and never could finish. But I loved the title and the character that was in it. And so I mixed all of Michael's characters together and I have a big screen to spend my time on something because it's not just about the money anymore. It has to be meaning and it has to be different than my babies at Marvel. We haven't publicly talked about what Ecos is story-wise, but I've said it's going to be about the wonder and awe of this planet. Um, we've done a lot of the wonder and awe of multiverses and other galaxies with Marvel. I'm gonna focus Ecos on the wonder and awe of this planet. And with that creative idea and with the idea of a digital art seeding um, and me um, doing that, um, a lot of people got very excited, including myself. And we spent a year and a half creating the art of Ecos, which we launched and sold out at auction last May 2nd, which was the 15th anniversary of Iron Man's release. Wow, full circle, full circle moment. I, I love that. Let's dive a little bit more into Ecos. Let's talk more about the details, the vision, and where you see this project going. Yeah. Um, so, the first, let me talk about the art a second and, and what we did. Because elevating comic art was, we wanted to be fully, fully focused on that. What you see here is the published cover. There was never a chance to own the published cover of a comic book as a one of one piece of art before. You could buy the comic, right, in a good condition, but there's thousands of that. So with, with NFTs, with Web3, you can own the one of one. So Michael did um, about 200 drawings. We picked 134 of his pencil drawings, and we knew we could do one of ones of those, and we could do one of ones of the published. And I think I have something here where I can talk you through that. Let me just make sure this works. Oh, this was the headline in 2021, our test case, where we took uh, the pencil drawing and the published cover of one of my favorite comics. And this was where we got excited about this potential. And this was the teaser to launch Ecos. We'd gone, gone beyond one of my favorite bands. It's the official band of Ecos. They played last night and they're playing tonight. Love that. The next line of that song, by the way, which I recommend, it's called Things Are Changing by Gone Gone Beyond, um, is I'll do better next time. And in some of our media at Ecos Genesis, it says that. And I mean that, um, and that's very personal. I'm really proud of what I did at Marvel, but that Marvel was, you know, 10%, it's good to be a hero, and 90% me wanting to make movies and own my own studio and make money and have fun. You know, so now Ecos is, I can even make, I think, um, more meaningful art and, um, and do better in terms of my own um, judgment of myself and, and the meaning of, of the work. So first with the art, this is a panel page of a comic book, the original art Michael did. And sometimes the cover, it's easy to see that that's a piece of art. 
but sometimes one panel is beautiful, like that second from the bottom panel caught my eye. And so one of the things digital art lets us do, and this only is possible because of Web3, is elevate art from a comic. So we took that panel, the second from the bottom, and we pull it out, and there you go. And you have something that can be perceived like Michael saw it without the noise of the other panels or word balloons as art. And then it's clear we can make a one-of-one -one of the pencils. And number two, we can make a one-of-one -one of the published cover, which was this. And, and then the question is, what else to make? There's an infinite other ways to color this. And the original colorist is still alive that worked with Michael, and he's one of the best in the world, if not the best, Peter Steigerwald. So I got very inspired by the generative art movement um, and spoke to many, many people in the Web3 space, including Snowfro and, and Tyler Hobbs and others who've been great advisors to me and great mentors as I've done this for the past two years, um, Cosimo and others. And um, I picked six specific um, pieces of what we call inspirations that I thought are capital A art and have meaning to me or others. Um, and I came up with an algorithm of rules for those inspirations that was then handed to Peter, the colorist, and he could produce any art he, he wanted as long as he followed those rules. And that's what you see upstairs in the eight different illustrations. The pencils, the published, and then there's one called the color accent, which is the lines of the original, and then Peter can choose accents of color from the published. And I'll just give the headline and the algorithms. There's other minor ones there too. This one's called Diamond Foil. And in the 1990s, Marvel, we had these diamond foil covers that collectors still remember um, and love, and including myself. I think this was Snowfro's favorite as well. Um, and so this is a nod and an homage to Diamond Foil. This one's called Back in Black, uh, obviously a back background, and it's a nod to the Back in Black ACDC song that I started Iron Man with and set the mood for Iron Man and the rest of the MCU. The fifth one here is Golden Bold, um, Web 3's Embrace of Gold, Grails. Um, I think this was the favorite of Seed Phrase when I, when I showed the finalists to him about a year ago in our Basel. There was about 20 finalists, and, and uh, he very much advised me to um, include this one, which he loved, which has, also has to have a big percentage of black. The next one... That one's my personal favorite, too. I told you that. <laughs> That's right. It's Matt's favorite as well. This one is Electric Neon. And this I did Broadway before Marvel. Um, I, I, very seriously, I won the Tony Award in 1999 for Best Musical. Um, and the Electric Nights of Broadway uh, are something that was a big part of my, my life. And this is an odd to that. And I think lastly is Black Light Pop. Um, if you remember, there was Black Light posters back in the 80s. If you don't know them, check them out. They're amazing, 80s and 90s mixed with the pop art movement of the 60s, both things that I love as an artist. And this is a mash of those two. So for each one of Michael's 134 drawings, we had these inspirations. And then we had three one-of-ones, and that added up to the Ecos Genesis art collection, which was 995 one-of-one -one pieces that we auctioned last May 2nd. I love that. I love that. It's, it's, it's amazing to see how these like threads just go through your career and, and kind of blossom in this way. I know, I know you touched on it, but like take us a little bit deeper on like 
why you decided to launch Ecos via Web3. Like, what, what was it specifically about it that like, made it such a great fit for this project? You know, thanks for asking that, because it's, it's something I thought a lot about, because I didn't have to do anything. So that's important. Like, you know, um, this was actually everyone who loved me advised me to just go have fun with my life. Like, it wasn't like I needed to uh, get more movie posters on the wall. And so, especially my mom <laughs> at the time. And so um, I, I really thought about how this could work. And I really believe that a new mythology for today's world has to be primal. It has to be visual. Um, there's so much noise. We have to be able to see it and know that that's something that fits that world. And Michael's line work, however it's colored, you can tell it's, it's Michael Turner. And you can tell it's broader ecos. And so all the entertainment we do in the future is going to be built off of this aesthetic and this type of art. So whether it's a movie or a game or a TV show or an immersive experience, you'll know you're in the world of Ecos. And then the story which um, we're developing now and it's, it's will be, um, we've already announced a graphic novel for the spring. Um, there's a coffee table book, like a Toshin type of book coming out of the whole collection in about a month. And we're developing the movies, um, which a lot of people talk about in this space. Um, so I, I don't tout it in that, in that way, but obviously um, it's something that's been the core part of my life. Um, and so I envision this as um, sort of like Avatar meets Marvel meets Spider-Verse, which is probably the cooler anim coolest animation that's been out recently. But imagine Spider-Verse, which is PG-13, PG so a little bit edgier and more adult, a little bit more sensual, a little bit more uh, intelligent themes and deeper themes. Um, I love Spider-Verse. I think they've done the best job of, of cool animation. Um, and so they've opened the door for, for me to do what I'd like to do here. Um, but it's, it was the art of Web3, which got me excited, like something new to do and, and sort of seed um, what hopefully in five, 10 years, people look back at Marvel and they're like, wow, we never expected that. And geez, I wish we knew that. Um, you know, hopefully my dream is in five or 10 years, you know, I'll be sitting here with you and, and we'll be looking at all this eco stuff out there. And, you know, the heritage of it will be what's upstairs. It, it started in the blockchain. It started with Web3 and it'll be the first cultural new mythology that started in this new medium. And that really excites me and it allows people to participate and be part of it and feel like, you know, they have um, something that's a piece of it as this thing grows over time. I think we have a picture here of uh, in the last visuals, which might tie to that question. This was, um, this is me with Michael Turner um, auditioning the Ecos characters. So this is what we're in the spirit of Michael there, um, what we're working on now and, um, and the lore. And I've not talked about these characters and who they all are, um, but those are the people that, and the characters you'll see upstairs. This was an homage to a piece of art that was done in 2007. Um, let's see. Should be the next one. Oh, well. <laughs> it was a piece of art where I was auditioning the Marvel characters, um, but it was done in a similar way for Fortune magazine at the time. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I know you, you touched on it a little bit, but I want to go a little deeper on everything that has happened since you launched it in May. Like, take us through everything you've been working on, all of the things in the works. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, I've done this pretty quietly, right? So it's not something that um, we've touted. We, it, we, for people that are interested, um, we really are at Ecos Genesis channel on Twitter on X is where we have a whole bunch of content that we're really proud of. Um, and Ecos.io um, is a, is a experience we've invested a lot in, including a, a digital gallery that allows you to explore the art in a really cool way. Um, so we focused very much, like I said, this was all handcrafted art that, that you see. Um, so it took us a year and a half and millions of dollars to make. Um, since then, in Comic-Con, um, we had, I think, the biggest booth there besides Marvel, um, and right next to the Marvel booth um, for Ecos. Um, and we announced the, you know, given my heritage, launching the mythology through a graphic novel, and, and that will be released um, in June. Um, and I can announce today it's going to be a trilogy, uh, Ecos Volume 1, Ecos Volume 2, Ecos Volume 3, over the course of the year. Um, really excited about the story. It's something um, that Aspen Comics and Mythos, Aspen's a part of Mythos Studios, was created by Michael Turner and his best friends are still there. Um, and then that story will get launched into other media, including immersive, not just traditional film and TV. Obviously, you know, that is contingent upon world conditions and everything else, but it's something um, that I'm focusing my time and, and obviously putting my name on. Um, I've never come out and promoted anything from the founder of Marvel Studios before, and this is the, the first thing that I care enough about to do that and talk about it like this. Um, parallel to that on the art, an exhibit like this with you guys, uh, our first time publicly exhibiting the art, um, which really excited about. <laughs> um, and um, I appreciate the chance to do that. And, um, and then we thought having an art book for people so they can have the whole collection and look at it um, would be fantastic to do. Um, so that's the plans right now with Ecos. Amazing. Well, one of the things, you know, as we so kind of look back on what has been a remarkable career um, and is still quite, you know, and it's still like driving forward with incredible, incredible uh, things on the horizon, you know, seeing how you've been able to bring creative vision to life, I think is something that really resonates with the Web3 community at large, because that is often the promise, a lot of the promise of this space and this technology is really empowering creators. That's, that's how, when we founded Now Media, about, it was all about empowering creators of culture. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've taken from your time, from that whole trajectory through Marvel to Mythos to Ecos that you can share, um, you know, for those who are here who may be looking to, you know, make a mark uh, like you have? It, it's such a good question, and it's, it's, a, it's a tough one um, to answer because um, uh, I, I look back on my career and... Um, so many things um, were fortunate in terms of events that happened too. So there's a degree of luck. There's a degree of timing. If I had gotten to Marvel three or six months later in 2003, it would have been too late. They would have licensed their properties to too many studios to even execute the idea I had um, at that time. Um, if the bond bubble didn't exist in 2005, I would not have been able to raise the money, right? If Robert had signed on to another movie, I might have had a different Iron Man. So, so many things had to be different um, or had to fall into place. But the one thing I'd say is whatever you're doing in your life, uh, if you can find something 
where you feel like you uniquely can do that endeavor, right? So what we described today, because of my background loving comics, because of my many years of studying business and then the business of Hollywood, because of my um, activity for years in Hollywood, getting to know behind the scenes of how the creative business works or, or even uh, understanding and knowing actors so I can convince someone like Robert or Natalie Portman to do Thor or things like that. Um, you know, and then also having a delusional optimism um, in what you're doing because you love it and you have confidence in it. Like if you can look at what you're doing and be honest with yourself and say, hey, anyone can do that. I'm not really adding anything special. You know, then you can push yourself to say, well, how can I, how can I make it more nuanced? You know, we see Rafiq's work up there. We know if you get to know that person, and if you're lucky enough to get to know him, you know, that is Rafiq, right? Um, and I, when I, I think that's how you can create great excellence. When whatever Venn diagram of who you are, the intersection produces something that your friends and your family and people that know you understand where it came from. And as you can hear from this talk, you know, I, I would not have been a good NBA basketball player. I probably wouldn't make a good Shakespeare movie, but Marvel and Ecos and this kind of stuff and my entrepreneurial bent, um, this is the kind of stuff I feel like, um, uh, you know, I was meant to do. And if you can find that in your own life, that's a blessing. I love that. I love that. Well, look, as, as we look to wrap this, I think a final question that I have for you is you think about, you've worked with absolutely storied IP, right? You've worked with beloved characters that have really resonated. And I think that like the trajectory of your career has really shown the power of storytelling, right? That's something we always talk about, the power of storytelling. Um, you know, it, that I think drives so much of, of this space, of, of the creative pursuits. And as you're thinking about ecos, as you're thinking about mythos, like, how are you planning to tell those stories? How are you planning to translate, you know, having dealt with so many beloved characters in the past through the Marvel years, like, how are you thinking about sprinkling that and, like, conjuring up these stories and these tales and bringing these new characters to life against the canvas of Web3? Yeah, it's um, the storytelling part. I'm so excited that we're moving into that now. Um, and, um, you know, I, I didn't speak about that uh, ever, even with Snowfro in April, like I mentioned, um, because this was one of one art, you know, and there's no, you know, you're, it's not a PFP where you're guaranteed future things, you know? And, and so, um, but the storytelling part is something that I've been working on on this already for four or five years. Um, and these characters, even with the Marvel characters, they seem so obvious now. Black Panther, um, Doctor Strange, you know, Rocket Raccoon. But the world didn't know these characters before. And so the best thing is when there is existing IP that has legacy for you to discover, but it's still new for you to discover it at that time. So you learn about Rocket Raccoon or you learn about Black Panther, then you realize, geez, it's been around for decades, but it's new to everyone that's discovering it. I think that's the mix that's best for a cultural event. And we have that with Ecos too, because these characters have been published in comics. 
they have certain powers, they have certain personalities. People can go back and discover all those characters. This is the Marvel picture, by the way, that was there before. But they can discover those characters, but they'll be learning about the new with us. And so we all have fallen in love with Aspen Matthews and Grace, these, these women that you see, these powerful women in these characters, with Grell, who's the animal type of character. And we even came up recently with this new super power or skill for Grell that is, I think, my favorite creative creation that I've ever made, and I can't wait to share. And so the storytelling part is never changed for centuries and centuries. You sit around a campfire, and if I told you the story of Ikos now, we would have a blast, I think, right? And then we also can tell it through a $400 million movie or through a theme park or an immersive experience. But the same story and passion has to be at the background of all those things. Um, and you have to feel it, and you have to... Also be smart that it's differentiated from other things, but you, you know, it's, it, it's in you to, to share. And um, in the same way, art, um, you don't really want to have to explain art necessarily, right? You want people to experience it. Um, stories, people will feel the authenticity and they'll feel the love and the care for them. Um, so... It's a hard question to answer exactly on how to do this story. I think with Web3, it opens up other technological possibilities, not just art, but sharing. So, you know, I can share a story development meeting. You know, all the things people have talked about in terms of Hollywood studios over the years as, you know, Web3 studios, um, which have come and sort of faded, to be honest, right? Because the people talking about them really hadn't, hadn't had the experiences or they weren't as committed. I think there's a lot of truth in those things. Like, you know, Kevin and I developed Iron Man in a little office on top of a car dealership, and Robert Downey used to come by to listen, you know, and we used to say, go, go wait till we're done, you know? And, um, but now we can share that. And sitting here doing this today and seeing all your guys' faces, I think I want to try that because even now, like talking about Grell and his powers and for the first time, how cool would that be? where the community can be there for that moment and, and see how that discussion goes in what we call the writer's room or the story writing room. Um, that would be fun to share in the right way. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, that's, we're, we, are, we are at time. There, there's so much more, but uh, we, we'll stay tuned for the next chapter. Give it up for David Maisel. Yeah.